0: Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education, where we dive deep into the world of virtual reality for teaching and learning. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to John Gress, the CEO of the Metaverse Construction Company and the founder of the Metaverse Film School, the world's first fully immersive Metaverse Film School. We're going to talk about that. The film school started classes this year. It uses the Engage platform. And I think one of the most challenging aspects, being a teacher myself, of teaching film curricula is balancing the theoretical aspect with arguably the more challenging practical components of filmmaking. So instructors need to provide, of course, comprehensive knowledge of film theory, history, and aesthetics, but also try to teach the practical side of cinematography, editing, directing. So John's here today to talk to us about the efficacy of using VR and virtual worlds for teaching film. Welcome to the show, John.
1: Thank you, Craig. It's great to be here.
0: I always enjoy starting out with an origin story, and that's, you know, what got you interested either personally in this medium or, you know, possibly as a profession?
1: That's a great question. Um, You know, I'm one of the lucky people, I guess, who has sort of always known what I wanted to do since I was a very, very little kid. I've always wanted to create experiences. I've always wanted to to make movies, to create music, um, and to do them together. Um, I, As a little kid, I would, uh, you know, there's a kind of a, fight of a family famous story of me stealing my dad's uh, 8 or 16 millimeter movie camera when I was four years old, and it was my first movie, in quotations, you know, uh, running around f- filming people with it uh, as i got older i was making 68 8 millimeter 60 millimeter movies uh, creating music and doing little projections of them trying to sync up the music and the movies always so we trying to create experiences and that quickly led to doing animation stop motion animation uh creating min- model miniatures i was a uh, big fan of ray harryhausen so doing the combination of rear projection and um, always very fascinated with with uh special effects at the time so practical effects uh latent image photography and that just kind of kept rolling over the years as i uh, produced music videos i would incorporate visual effects um creating movies from there um as soon as digital uh, started happening in all the aspects, whether it be, uh, I was one of the first early adopters of digital audio and digital audio production, digital video production, nonlinear editing, and then going into all the other technologies such as 3D and VR. And um, really, I think, uh, you know, I I began training my own artists in our, our own productions and i started said for sort of formalizing pipelines and formalizing instruction on how to get to onboard them as fast as possible into our uh into our visual effects uh production and that sort of led to me getting an entree into education and um kind of long story short I, I did a lot of education uh trained thousands of of Uh, film and visual effects artists over the years. Um, But at the heart, I was always looking to sort of create these fully immersive experiences. And the frustration in doing that in film is all of the tools up, up through, you know, fairly recently up until about 2010... Were uh, DCC type, you know, digital content creation platforms that allowed you to create some pretty immersive uh, worlds, you know, with with 3D applications like Maya and Lightwave and and 3D Studio. But the but the technological limitation was there in that each frame took 45 minutes to an hour to if you're on a big production it could take days to render, you know, a frame. And that's not very immersive. It's not very interactive. So in 2009, 2010, I was uh, sitting working on a science fiction. I was a visual effects producer rendering on one monitor uh, for a science fiction film. And um, uh, Epic Games had just released Unreal Tournament. And uh, I was playing around with the, the editor that they had released with it and i'd created a couple of small levels and that was kind of an aha moment for me i was sitting there in the one hand waiting for a frame of a space sci-fi scene to render for you know an hour a frame and on the other hand i'm running around in a sci-fi environment in real time not doing very well getting sniped by people oh, you yeah. <laughs> know i'm running around in real time in a 3d environment in the other and i just sat there for a moment looking from one monitor to the other and i said this is i'm looking at the future right here and um i've been uh, as i said kind of an early adopter uh, across the board and i went all in uh just all in at that point and um started doing r&d on how we could use these new technologies for uh for production for previs and um started working not Working for the for Epic Games, but um, the people at Epic were fantastic. Uh, really, just fantastic people. Um, people like Kim Library and Louis Cataldi uh, at Epic were just so welcoming, and they were like, y- "Yeah, we'll help you. You know, you want to do this kind of crazy stuff." And people were kind of looking at me like I'm insane uh, trying to use this. Um, and we created a bunch of proof of concepts for doing this. Um, Mike Seymour from, uh, and uh, John Montgomery from FX PhD, um, some of the most forward thinking people in sort of in in the industry as well at the time, um, were also really embracing of this idea. And um, we did four courses in how to use these new real-time technologies for uh, previs and production from 2000, I think it was like 2012, 2013 to 2014. Um, worked with stiller studios in stockholm sweden using uh, motion control as the means to sync these two worlds up the virtual world and the um a- and the real world so we were doing um, real live in-camera visual effects so this is going back to you know like 2013 uh the first proof of concepts we did in doing what's now known as virtual production so that we just kept Working with that and refining it, this is, you know, it, it's popped onto most people's screens as, as sort of a new thing in the past few years. But we were doing this for a very long time, um, albeit with, you know, uh, kind of clunky technology. When you're working with motion control, it's big motion control robots. and But we were also refining pipelines for doing the same kind of uh, thing with iphones and and uh using uh photogrammetry to do some of this and uh using using other other smaller systems like a vicon motion control system so anyway kind of um once i got to the point where we were actually doing these things in a virtual world in real time one day i said to myself you know we could put on a headset and do our virtual location scouting in a in fully immersive VR and the moment we did our first proof of concept for that and I put on a headset and I'm standing there inside the environments that I'm that we were shooting in and you know I'd done a lot of previs for architectural and and industry and and enterprise uh, over the years f- with VR but this was the first time I ever was looking at it through the lens of film production and man, the all the all the neurons just started firing. I was like, this is like this is where we're going to be one day. So that was sort of the not so short genesis of of how we got from there to you know the work that we do now.
0: And I mean, fast forward now, like you said, that was a, you know a whirlwind tour of someone who's had their their paws or or boots in the industry for a long time. But you know, for us who Maybe don't live in that industry, you know. We're starting to see films actually being produced that are making like mainstream HBO market. Like, for example, uh, I just recently was listening to a podcast about the film We Met in Virtual Reality, which had its premiere in 2022 at the Sundance Film Festival and then was released amazingly to HBO and HBO Max. And there's been a real buzz now around, you know, making films inside VR like this, as opposed to, you know, we've heard of like, you know, the Matrix, we knew that Unreal Engine was used for some of the making of the Matrix, but it wasn't necessarily all filmed inside like a virtual, contextually relevant uh, environment like we met in virtual reality. So are you seeing more of this? You know because you are in the trenches boots in the ground where movies are made and created right inside these immersive environments
1: oh yeah absolutely and um you know it's to me it's uh it, working as a as sort of an early adopter in in so many of these technologies from 3d to digital to digital cinema virtual reality uh motion capture motion control all of these things all of sort of weave together into uh what we're now knowing as virtual production and the way it just sort of manifests itself in my head is not all of these little pieces but it's more of seeing this linear trajectory right and um when we first started you know, experimenting with this stuff. I created a, a prototype called the X-Cam back in 2013, I think it was. And this was a red camera with a big wonky uh, Windows tablet mounted to the front and a and a Carmine sensor and all this. It was it had all kinds of wires hanging off of it. And basically what we were trying to do and and successfully did with this prototype was create the ability to have a camera that shoots... 5K 5K digital cinema gets a motion depth map does a lidar scan gets a dense point cloud a textured mesh and a full motion uh, a 3D camera track all in one pass without any outside work without any you know, towers without any, you know, uh, motion capture system, anything like that. It was just a, a self-contained camera you could walk through. And the the sad part was that after we had it done, most people had still had no idea what we were doing and and didn't really understand it at the time. There were people, obviously, at you know, large institutions, uh, large companies like ILM and Digital Domain, that were working on probably similar uh, kind of ideas. The point being, though, that from that, from those times of creating those prototypes, um, up until let's say 2019. In 2019, people were still saying I was kind of nuts thinking about using something like um, Unreal Engine as something to make real movies with. Right? They were kind of looking at it. If that's a game engine. It's we're still 10 years away from making real movies with something like that. And I was looking at this saying, no, we we are actually doing this now. We've been doing it for at that time, about seven years. Um, and it looking close to photo real, uh, we weren't there quite yet, but I knew if we were that close that a company like ILM or a digital domain or a Sony, these companies, I know, you know, they definitely could, could be at that point by then. Um, So that's where we were. Then 2020 rolls around, the pandemic hits, and now suddenly everybody now understands what we've been talking about, right? So if you look at that, not as what our individual contribution was, but if you just look at it as a trajectory, here's where we were. We were doing this since, say, 2013, 2014 at a fairly photorealistic way with a lot of clunky equipment and a lot of Clunky, you know, uh, you know, Frankenstein'd, uh, you know, hybrid workarounds, and then we get to 2019 where we're doing this with sort of fairly sophisticated, um, pretty elegant solutions, but we're not quite there yet, visually, but almost. Now you jump to two years ahead, where now you're seeing Mandalorian, now you're seeing uh, all of these things that are being done that way. Now, again, keep in mind these are a 3d solution not vr necessarily and they're being projected like a rear screen projection type of scenario with this new uh added flavor of of motion tracking but just draw the line and um the things that we're doing now which i know we'll probably get to are to virtualize everything not just the background. We're virtualizing the cameras and virtualizing the in-camera VFX and virtualizing the green screen and virtualizing the people and virtualizing everything. And and uh, just drawing that line into making everything more refined, more virtualized, more elegant, um, I think it's for me, it's very easy to see that, George, keep drawing that line up into that. Um, for those of you listening and not uh, you know, able to see me, I'm putting my one finger at the bottom left corner and the other hand just kind of putting point B up at the upper right corner and you can see that line of where things are going. So I uh, hope that answers the question.
0: Yeah. And you know, one of the things as an educator for so many years myself that really caught my attention and, and sort of why I wanted you on the show was uh, this notion of Metaverse Film School. Because, uh, again, I've been in a plethora of schools, not necessarily with my hand in the filmmaking department of the school, but knowing the stuff that they do and understanding, like I said at the intro of this podcast, the technical limitations that a lot of either the drama department or the film department of a school, whether that be college or, you know, high school, the, you know, th- their budgets aren't very big. So when I saw your post and read through your website about starting, you know, a, a metaverse film school, I was captivated because, you know, I do dabble a bit in VR for learning and I thought this is brilliant. So, you know, l- let's unpack some of that. First of all, sure. You know, Give us a broad overview of what is VR Film School, and again, w- why start something like this?
1: Great, great question. So, um, I think many people in the education field—obviously, this is new, so it's not a—it's not a "this is your fault." But many people in the in the world of education are approaching this in a completely wrong way. Um, they, com- the, the world, because our our world is very manufacturer, marketing, uh, media, financial sector centric and and those are the four kind of uh, spheres that you wind up hearing about this stuff. A manufacturer comes up with a new headset, and now it's got more pixels. And then the marketing people are saying, oh, this is the best ever. And now we're going to go to 2K per eye and 4K per eye. And 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 the 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 financial sector now is telling you, oh, this is the best selling ever. And now oh now it's crashing. And now this is the worst sector ever. And you're it's all dying. And you know you, you're you're on this roller coaster ride of Data information regarding the technology and education kind of tends to approach this, um, and and I was uh, for a while I was the co-chair of the VR the global VR ARA University and Colleges committee, so I had interaction with lots of colleges and universities from around the world, and I saw this over and over and over again. I was the dean of academics at a college at the time, um, and I saw this just happening through education where they were approaching it as Okay, here's a new new technology. We want to implement this new technology, so we have to now develop new curriculum for this. We have to figure out a whole uh, development side. How are we going to develop for this? And already, because of the lag time in the world of education, when you come up with it, it's a it's a very uh, it's a very delicate kind of a a. Uh, a, del- a very delicate ecosystem, if you will. You cu- you want to come up with a brand new technology, and you've immediately got all of these hurdles against you, right? You've got you have to meet accreditation, you have to meet uh, curriculum development, you have to get administration on board. You've got budgeting, which is a huge issue. Then you've got to get the people who are actually teaching it on board, because now you're telling people who are In a lot of ways, they feel underpaid and undervalued. Now you got to tell them, now you got to learn this whole new thing, which a lot of people are technologically adverse to, and you got to get them on board. So the whole thing is kind of working against you, trying to implement this. And my feeling about it has always been, stop. Stop doing all of that. Teach what you already know. Teach what you already know how to teach. Teach the passion that you already love and that the reason you got into it and just add a new amazing tool to what you're doing and stop trying to create new curricula for it. Stop trying to get new programs, stop trying to develop, just use existing tools as a new, I like to call it a futuristic PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And, and that brings us sort of to the metaverse film school, the metaverse film school are, uh, you know, teaching film and visual effects for probably over three decades at this point, my main goal was taking all the problem points, all the problem points students have, all the problem points we as educators have, all of the wish lists. You know, It it starts to become a thing that over a period of you teach for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, there start to be these common things that pop up. Man, I really wish that I could just take my students to a soundstage and show them the real deal rather than trying to show them in a classroom and make them imagine what it would be like to be on a soundstage. I wish they could each be tearing apart a red camera rather than everybody crowded around one red camera. I wish we could build our own sets. I wish our students could tell their own stories rather than us having to do a group and everybody decide on one story and one person gets to play this part and one person gets to play that part. And hopefully at some point you'll get to play all the roles. And, you know, there's that there's that I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. Um, There's the financial part of it. A a college, a university, a high school is not going to have, they may have enough to buy a few, a red camera, maybe two, maybe three. But if you've got a class of 30, there is no physical way monetarily that every student is going to get their own digital cinema system that they can do a studio build in front of them and each have a studio lens and each have all the, you know, uh, lens support and all the, all of the, 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 the bells and whistles that go with a a really, really high end camera. There's no way that a a school could do that. And if they did in a year and a half, that would all be obsolete and they have to buy it all again. So it's not (laughs) possible for that to happen. So I said, what if we virtualized everything? What if we virtualized the studios? We virtualized the environments? We virtualized the technology? We virtualized the equipment? We virtualized the scenarios? We could then solve all of those pain points, all of those wish list problems that we ever had. I'll, get, I'll just start throwing a bunch at you, right? Um, you have students, and you want them to be able to tell a story. So typically, one of the first things you would do is you would sit them all down in a in a room and say okay we're going to go through the story making process and we're going to start developing a story together and do the 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 story the production boards the breakdowns uh, the the pre-production work on on the film and when you when you're doing that you're immediately hitting hurdle 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 right you you the, the students say okay I want we're going to do a spaceship and it's going to be on an alien planet and you're already like whoa 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 we're 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 a school we only have this amount budgeted for the term. You're, you know, you're going to have to, we're going to have to scale that back. Um, maybe we can do a green screen and then they're, they're like, okay, well, we'll do it a green screen and we'll have spaceships and we'll have, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys are new. You don't really know how to create photorealistic spaceships yet. We're going to have to t- take you to the 3D, uh, 3D modeling, texturing, rendering pipeline. Now we're at a, another hurdle. Uh, And it's just like that throughout the entire process of teaching. It's just hurdle, 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 you know, roadblock, roadblock, roadblock. And now you have, add to it COVID, add to it uh, the profile of a student has changed over the past decade or two decades, where students' um, wants and needs have become different, you know, uh, students, uh, I, 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 you, it's palpable to an educator that students have a lot more stress and anxiety and mental health issues than they had 20 years ago.
0: And I want to pause you for a moment yeah. just on, on this particular point, because it, it did come up again, being a rookie and not in the film industry, you know, there's so many questions that I had, like for example, you know, you you guys teach green screening in the virtual world. And one thing that struck me was, well, wait a minute, why teach green screening when you're in a virtual world where, like you said, they could, if they have some understanding of 3D assets, build that world instead of swapping in a green screen. So this is a big one that many of my friends also we're wondering about if, you know, we know that a green screen can be anything, you just swap that out. Why do that? Why even teach that anymore? Green screen, when a virtual world can be populated into a contextual environment with 3d assets of anything?
1: Right. Very, very good question. Very, very insightful question. Um, The reason is real world. So we want to not only impart the new technologies, but we want students to be prepared in mm. every essence. Every uh, essence, we want them to understand real-world production. So we're we're teaching the real-world scenarios in addition to the future scenarios, because there are going to be times. Um, I'm a I'm a visual effects guy. There are times when an LED wall to me is not as good as a green screen or a blue screen. Um, There are times as a visual effects artist, as a visual effects producer, we don't want, you know, I'm just going to speak for myself here, but I I would imagine that there are other visual effects producers and and artists out there that are going to feel the same way. We don't always want final pixel in the camera. We want to be able to, part of our job and part of our passion is being able to fine tune and tweak things. Uh, So having the ability to have, green screen to be able to extract something and then composite, you get a lot of times a lot more of a realistic, uh, a lot more finessed type of final uh, result than you're going to. So we want to teach the real world world technologies. uh, The ones that we're doing now, uh, as you've seen what we've kind of progressed, we first started with just plain green screen and virtualizing that. Why do we do that? Because a lot of students want to shoot green screen. They, they see it being done on TV. They see it being done on YouTube videos. But they want to learn how to do it professionally, which is very, again, now we're back to the roadblocks. It's very hard to set up. What do I use for a green screen? How do I do the lighting for that? How do I set up my camera? How do I actually do this correctly? I can tell you that you would be stunned how many people, professionals, don't know how to do this correctly. Mm. Um, there are a lot me, of people that- doing it. But not a lot of people doing it really correctly to get the best result.
0: And I assume in a virtual world, because you know, green screen takes up a lot of space. Like you need a giant wall. But in the virtual world, you have unlimited space. So I, I see now, you know, as we unpack this, the benefits. If you've got a large class and I'm working with a partner, there's just the two of us, like, you know, there's no way if you had a class of 30, you'd have enough wall space in a physical building That's right. to be able to allow kids in groups of two to do green screening techniques. So I get it. It's starting to make sense to me now.
1: And then in addition to us being in a classroom and having a pop-up, you know, 12-foot green screen, we can take them onto a full-blown professional 75-foot green screen with a three-walled scenario. And now we add to it motion tracking. And now we add to it in-camera visual effects. And now we add... Uh, we just keep adding to it and we keep showing them what the potentials are. But to your point, which is which is you're right on that trajectory line, which is we feel, I feel personally, that the future is going to be – and this is a big one. I'm going to get a lot of flack for this one. The future is going to be you're going to pop on a headset. You're not going to need any equipment. You're not going to need – any green screen, you're gonna be able to pop on a headset. You'll have all your cameras, all your people, your actors, uh, your 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 sets, and you will be able to just shoot a movie. Um, we're already doing it now. Obviously, you know there are limitations depending on what your platform is, how many people you're using. Are you on a local network? Are you on a not local network? Um, as to which platforms you can use to do that, and then what your quality is based on based on those kind of parameters but that that's just that's just technological development that's a gap of time is all that is to me I, I i've already seen the progress of when we developed the virtual production technologies up until where we are now which was faster than i thought that was going to be and this is going to be even faster with with the new ai technologies so um in a full wraparound to the answer to the question we teach all the technologies and we've virtualized everything both the real world and the future technologies that we see are coming and we allow them to do both so they can see the not only the real ones that are existing now but the new potentials that are coming around the corner and i I'm with you on that um you know uh, I, some of the things that I saw in uh, in that movie that you you were talking about we met in virtual reality um. Yeah, a lot of that's been done for a really long time. Um, you know, the, a lot of that shooting, shooting in 3D space in in a game has been done for for a very long time. That's this is not really that new. What is new is being able to have some of the some of the little finesses that I saw in there, seeing a rack focus in uh, in a VR environment seeing you know uh really kind of a little bit more sophisticated camera motion going on where you've got a a virtual dolly system where you've got virtual camera controls and um and then you can do things that are not possible when i when we shoot a lot of the virtual stuff i've got a uh uh, you people online are going to see it but i've got like a kind of a really nice xbox controller that i use to pilot my camera through the scene where I am I'm actually creating like a virtual camera crane movement, and then we have the ability to do what you can't do in the real world, which is do things like spatial recording, where we're not only recording the video that you're seeing, but recording the movement of every person and everything in the scene that we can now play back and re-record. So imagine if you're a teaching filmmaking, where uh, you know, as, as a filmmaker, you have takes where each time you're shooting another uh you're shooting a scene you have the actors get together you say take one everybody does a take and maybe one person you the more people you have the more chance for somebody to mess up what they're doing but you finally get one that you really like which is kind of the goal and you would shoot one, two, three, four, five, depending on your budget you know there there are movies that will do take 500 if it's a really complicated scene you don't want that obviously but um the 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 idea though is you get that perfect take or really good take that's now fixed in pixels on video in the in the world of filmmaking in the world of VR production you're not fixed anymore that is now a frozen scene in time that we can bring another camera back and go and refilm it again however we want maybe everything was perfect except you know we said that film that that scene was so good let's get that from three more angles and now the really exciting part which is what if the viewer could now jump in and experience that for themselves rather than us showing us a vantage point now i i think that there's definitely uh Big pros to both. There's there's a lot of debate as to you know users having agency and being able to to move around in a in a you know on their own kind of uh, their their own choices of what they want to see. But there's also the other equally I think uh, smart debate, which is that as filmmakers we want to guide. The user's view—it uh, becomes overwhelming. I've over the years, I've become a big fan of 180 3D filmmaking versus 360 because I find sitting in a chair, it's very uncomfortable to keep trying to turn around, and you always feel like you're missing something. There, there are times when that's interesting, <clears throat> but there are also times where, like in a real 3D film production, which I've done a lot of, you lose the ability to hide where your production crew is and you lose the ability to hide where all the lights are. And now you have to worry about what everybody can see in all directions. And then is that really important?
0: You know? So um, I, 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 I'm glad, I'm glad you talked about this notion of to what extent do we give the viewer a a greater experience and, and more ownership and agency because in learning that, that, that is a huge goal. You don't want passive learning. You want, if you're learning something to be hands-on and you want them to be able to pick things up and and be able to struggle a little bit, and that's part of the learning process. But you know, you're saying that it's still quite a debate in the movie or filmmaking industry, and that is to allow if I'm in the matrix. The, watching the movie, I don't know the Matrix, whatever the next version. For me to be beside Neo and be able to walk along with him as he's dodging bullets, and then you know, I don't know, be able to pick something up and and be involved in the action. That's that's a huge debate still, eh? There's there's lots of people in the industry that would say that's too much because then what if you lose the whole point to the plot, or what if you know you don't quite start to understand. Another character in the scene who's over on stage right or stage left that, you know, might be weeping or crying and you miss that part or point of view or perspective. Absolutely.
1: Right. So, and I think that that's more of a, a of an artistic aesthetic choice that filmmakers will, it, it just, it, it widens the palette is what it does. It gives you new tools to do new movies in new ways. You you go to see certain movies that you want to be sort of a fun joyride. And then you go see other ones that you want to be a little confused and try to understand what the, the deeper meanings of the plots are. And that's those are all kind of artistic choices that that people have. But one thing that you did kind of hit on, which, which I want to sort of address too, which is really important, is the educational part where you want that to be a little more obvious and you want that to be a lot more focus and you don't want those distractions going on. And we do a lot of stuff for education as well. Um, and not only for the film school, but for, to, as, as, as a contractor working with other companies and, you know, one of the, um, all of these advantages that we've kind of used for our own work in the film school, um, applies to everywhere else too, applies to every other trade you deal with any other, you know, look at, look at, Standard trays, HVAC, and culinary, and medical assisting, and electrical, and plumbing, and uh, you know, constructing, contracting, medical, uh, you know, um, medical surg- surgical type type uh, scenarios. All of these in the training portions deal with either dangerous, or expensive, or unwieldy size, or unwieldy situations where. It's very difficult to train for them or very expensive to train or very dangerous to train. And these are all scenarios where we can virtualize the equipment, the scenarios, the, the technologies, and the training becomes better. It becomes better. It becomes more immersive. It becomes more engaging for the students. And they can do it more. You have surgeons doing brain surgery who can now take a 3D scan of a tumor inside of a you know, child's head that would be sort of a, okay, here we go," kind of a thing. We plan as best we can, but we don't know what we're doing till we get in there and, and do this to a new paradigm where we can do a brain scan, do a 3D model, create a virtualized model, and now they can do the surgery over and over and over and over and over again virtually before they actually get in there. And I cannot see how that is not a beneficial thing you know, um, in, in all of these areas. I
0: want to circle back to filmmaking just for a moment, just because I have so many other questions. And one is, most of the audience have enough understanding of the filmmaking process such that, you know, you, if you're an actor or an actress, you have lines. And those lines either require that you memorize or in, a, in the physical world, it might mean you know you're you're practicing on stage the sceneries around you, but you get to use your script and you can read off the script for a certain period of time until you've embodied those lines and you know it's time for you know maybe the real production the practice is over now it's time you've memorized those those scripts you don't need them anymore. But in in the virtual world, you 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 can't really have. A script to read off or can you is is oh, this you absolutely possible? can.
1: oh yeah yeah you absolutely can in fact it's easier uh because uh, having been both a real world producer director where i know there were they were there were times where we had certain actors who needed the their script pasted to the other actors chest while they were talking to them because they could not remember their lines So this is a real world phenomenon obviously good actors hopefully do remember their lines. Um, In in the virtual world, you can have your lines on a piece of paper, a virtual piece of paper right in front of you that nobody else but you can see. Um, when, in fact, when, a lot of times when uh, we'll do like a presentation for people, the first time they're ever doing presentations or a, a speaking engagement in VR, we'll put a monitor at the back of the place with their notes. So they're actually, everybody's looking forward and they're looking back and they it's like having a teleprompter. Um, you could even do teleprompters. Everything you can do in the real world, you can do it in the virtual world and a lot more.
0: So if I'm a film teacher... My question might be to add to what you just said. You know, is there, if you look at the common curricula of a film school or teaching a film class, is there any challenge or stumbling block whatsoever to meet those curriculum outcomes compared to the virtual film school versus a physical film school? Any stumbling blocks besides, I think you alluded to just learning. The technology, I guess, would be one. Are there others, though?
1: Well, uh, the technology is one of the easiest ones, actually. The the technology, most of the technology is very easy. In fact, as I said, we we can hand every student their own red phantom camera and show them. We've taken novices off the street and sat them down who have no film experience and taught them how to put it together do a studio build of a red camera in about 20 30 minutes and they could repeat that afterwards and i feel pretty confident that they could do it with the real thing afterwards a big portion of that is just that they would never get the opportunity to touch one in real life because it's too expensive and no one would want to let somebody who has no experience handle a piece of equipment that's as that's that expensive um but i think that there are some uh there are some real challenges um, that we are overcoming as technology gets better and better. Some of the physical tech, you know, you have the a balancing act that we're playing right now between how many people do you need to have in a session and the level of quality and control that you can give at uh, a multi-user. And another one that's really important is because uh, VR is not ubiquitous yet, we are we tend to put all of our stuff on multi-platform uh, on the engage platform, which means that you can access it on a PC, on a Mac, on a on a on an iPhone, on an Android, and you can have a similar experience um, you know albeit with maybe not being able to grab things because you're on a phone and not in in VR but the experience is, is very much the same. You can sit in the class on a phone uh, and and have the same learning experience. Um, but there are some, challenges. We've done lots of productions where we've done really, really, you know, uh, photo real high quality uh, immersive experiences in, let's say, Unreal Engine for a single user sitting on a tethered machine. That's like if you were doing a real world simulation for, say, a military simulation or a flight simulation where you need that level of realism and fidelity where you can't miss. There are critical components in those kind of scenarios. You can't afford something being off. Uh, for those, you would want a single-user, tethered type of scenario. But when you're doing teaching, obviously, you need to have 20, 30, 50, 70 people in a, in a room together. Um, something has to suffer technologically bandwidth-wise there, because they're just, you're just you're, you're pushing so much bandwidth through to have two Two displays running at one time in real time in VR, anyway, that they're, 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 we're still at a limit uh, technologically. Uh, you have a cap there, so then your uh, your quality comes down a little bit. Like what you what you can show, you start have to fudging things and, may, and doing little tricks to make things look better, but still get the performance so that everybody's having a good experience at that time. So we have that, but that's again a time a time technological, technological hurdle thing that will be definitely solved in the next two to five years that, that, that will get better and better. And for those people who say, well, I'll wait till then. um, That's like saying when the internet came out, well, I'll just wait (laughs) till everybody's using it. And, and everybody knows that the people who got into it at the beginning and were already using it by the time it was, ready to go, or the people who did really well with it and the people who got on board waited and got on board later were the people who usually lost out on all the great opportunities and suffered and are still suffering, you know, uh, technologically with that. So the time to get into it is now, while things still aren't great, um, and then you will be there and already be working with it. It was funny, we, uh, at the uh, college that I was working at, we implemented VR technologies and real time in, uh, April of 2019. And, uh, we were, we got a lot of flack from a lot of people saying this is not ready for prime time stuff for production is not going to happen for five to 10 years. And they were just, it was surprising how many people were against it. It was also surprising that a handful of months later, when COVID hit, suddenly everybody realized the value in it. And we had been using it for things, there there are other reasons, not just the educational reasons to use it. We we started using it uh, for sort of the soft skill type of stuff. We started using it for student orientations, started using it for guest speakers, started using it for uh, student events. Um, There are things that you can do that most people don't realize are sort of uh, value plus added use cases for it. And they're all, I, I tend to look at it through a lens of problem solving, right? What are the things that, what are the problems that we can use this technology to solve rather than what you're hearing a lot of, which which is to, to my dismay, which is you're hearing a lot of people just talking about technology without actual, no use cases for it. Or if they talk about a use case for it, it's their use case, their made-up use case, rather than solving an actual problem. So let's talk about – and I know we're going off topic of, of uh, film school here, but this is kind of related to film school. Let's say you have a film school, and classes are going to start in January, and it's holiday season. This is very time-appropriate, mm-hmm. right? And you've got – you want to do your orientation before classes start. So you're in the middle of the holiday. So what does everybody do? Everybody's got to fly in to wherever your school is, from wherever they are for the orientation before the holidays. And then they have to fly around for the holidays to meet their family. And then they got to fly again to the back to where you are for the actual start of school. That's a big ask. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of it's, it's challenging. So if you could then be home at lunch with your family, pop on a headset, do your story, do your student orientation take off your headset, get back to packing for the January move, it's a lot more convenient um, if you're trying to get really, really renowned guest speakers, right? Uh, if you ask uh, a, a, an amazing film director in the uk hey could you pop on a plane and come on over here and give us a a one-hour speech and then just you can just pop right back you know you don't have to stay here long um it's a big ask you you have to now talk about the time that they're losing for work for travel put them up in a hotel what are they going to do when they're here you're just going to kind of let them come in and kick them out you got to entertain them for a little bit and now they got to go back and it's that travel time versus them sitting with their significant other popping on a headset giving an hour of speech and then taking off the headset you can get people who you normally would so there's real huge wins you know there's huge wins available across the board in all of these i'm um, getting back to your question though as far as challenges i would say the challenges that we have are for a specific period of time there are there are uh, you know a substantial number of challenges that we're still facing and kind of figuring out ways to address in the meantime. And then when the technology m- meets up with that, those will be solved. I'll give you some examples. Um, when you're dealing with acting, facial expression is a very important one that, that you're dealing with actors. Actors can read the lines. You can get a, a significant performance performance um, you can do some, some interesting things, but there's the subtleties of facial capture. There's the subtleties of, um, of full motion, full body motion, which require now a little bit more. Um, these are all being addressed. You know, the new headsets are starting to do body capture, facial capture. Um, but then there's the sort of pipeline that follows that where you need the, the, the platform to support facial and have facial rigs and so so that's it's lag it lags behind a little bit so that that would be one um, I'll give you a real world one that was a problem and how we figured out how to address because we're riding on the back of platforms that are uh, secure that you know was very, security was very important to us um, using the engage platform which is already uh, you know, certified as a secure platform was important to us, and being able to use it on a multi-platform base uh, basis was important to us. Um, so, because of that, we can't just put any scripting we want in, right? That that would make the platform open to all kinds of kind of craziness. So, um, because we have that limitation, uh, let's say we have we have a camera and we wanted to do an actual variable focus camera lens to, to illustrate the differences in focal length um, that would be something that if we were writing our own single user uh, solution if we we had a, a person with a headset that sits down at a single workstation puts on a VR headset and c- you know can grab a camera we can easily do that in in any of the platforms but because we want to be able to have 30 people in a room, all seeing the same thing at the same time, and me being able to grab the camera, show them something and then hand the camera to them. Um, we can't do that. So we w- we had to do a workaround where we created separate cameras with fixed focal lengths, which you also do have in the real world, you have prime lens, you know, uh, uh, where people are shooting prime lens. So we basically have five cameras with five prime lenses, or six cameras with six prime lenses. And then they can we turned, we turned the lemon into lemonade. We said, okay, well, you know what we could do though? We could, we don't have the, the cost limitation. So we could literally have five giant monitors or six giant monitors and six red cameras with six prime lenses. And now they can sit there and see the result of each camera in front of them and pick and choose which camera And which lens, and try two cameras and compare side by side what the what it looks like with this lens versus this lens. So there, for every problem and hurdle we run into, we wind up with like this strange benefit that winds up happening where we go, oh, you know, we didn't really think about that. But typically, if you've got a zoom lens and you're trying to show a student the difference between, say, a 24 millimeter lens and a 120 millimeter lens on a on a zoom you got to say okay here's 20 and now here's 120 and you're zooming back and forth but if you have the ability to show them side by side on two cameras it's actually more illustrative you know you can actually see them side by side and compare them so um those are the kind of little challenges that that we run into along the way um the, I would say the challenges are far outweighed by the things that we can do that we wouldn't be able to do in the real world, such as one of the things that was very important to me was to be able to, um, you know, I said to myself, what are all the problems we have when teaching film film and, and production? What are all the challenges students have? What are all the wish lists students have? What are all the wish lists we as instructor instructors have and one of the things is we would love to get students into different real world shooting environments right not just yeah it's great to shoot a movie or a documentary or or shoot on a on a film set that's cool unto itself you know being on the on the sound stage the first time i created it and and started shooting on it i was like wow this is shockingly like the real thing. It's shockingly like the real experience of being on a soundstage. But I said, you know, what's really important to me is the real world applications, like uh, the students who've been shooting for cable TV for the past decade and have never had the opportunity to shoot, say, a live concert or shoot a football game or shoot uh, Academy Award show or shoot. uh, There's tons of people out there who've been shooting commercials for the past two decades who've never been on a. Big soundstage, or have never, or been working in movies, who've never been able to work on a, on a model miniature set, or you know, there's all these kind of cross use cases that you you would be surprised that people who've been working doing this for a long time have never had the opportunity to do this. So a student will never have the opportunity to do this. So I started creating all of these real world use case scenarios that allow an instructor, and think about how amazing this is as an instructor, to say, okay, I want you to see what it's like to be on a football field and shoot a football game, and the the problems and challenges you have and that you have to solve when you're on there. Or you're, you're doing a live concert and you're one of the three camera people on stage and having to stay out of the, the line of sight of the musicians as much as you can, stay out of each other's way as much as you can, um, you know all the all the technical limitations you have to be off to here you can't be in front of the uh, in front of this area when the pyrotechnics go off there's all of these real world scenarios and we can address and let them experience all of those things and there's no you eliminate all of the the cost the planning the insurance the the releases the approvals mm-hmm. all of that stuff that the instructor just gets to decide imagine as an instructor saying i want to Take students in a helicopter today and fly over the city of Orlando. If you were doing that in the real world, I, I, my mind's already spinning with all of the the releases and approvals and and insurance and all of the the just getting people from point A to point B on a bus is a major ordeal when it comes to those kind of you know technical limitations in the real world of education and liability and all of that kind of stuff. But you can put on a headset and say, hey guys, we're all going up in a helicopter today. And literally in 30 minutes, you're up in a helicopter flying over the city and everybody's shooting cameras. You know, that's just not something I'm, I'm, I struggle to see where anybody can find the downside of that, you know, except for, yeah. (laughs)
0: How about costumes versus avatars? I mean, they're they're different, right? Like, you know, if I wear a cape in the physical world, it's it's got it's got some weight to it. You know, it, it probably dictates a little bit differently how I might act in a scene in the physical world. Whereas, if I'm wearing an avatar cape, you know, obviously there isn't that weight. There isn't maybe the uh, physics that it behaves in the real world. How have right. you? how how is that rolled out for you have you had many criticisms amongst actors or actresses in regards to you know okay this is me in my digital avatar doesn't quite feel the same as in the physical world
1: yeah well uh, we we definitely have some limitations there uh we're still not quite there yet with that i can say that um if you look at sort of a a cross section of I like to compare and contrast these with what we do in the visual effects world versus the VR world. Um, If you saw in that movie, uh, We Met in Virtual Reality, um, they were doing some things in there using just a handful extra trackers like feet trackers and hip trackers just to get – Uh, the rest of the body involved, they were doing some things in there that, and you saw the flaws in there. You saw, you know, where, you know, the arm is clipping through the body or, you know, you you saw some, some, some issues there with, with the, uh, the IK structure. There's a couple of things in there were little, little pops and dings and stuff, but. Mind you, they
0: fixed the inverse kinematics. I've heard, like I was listening and I think there's been a real sort of push to, to fix the IK or the inverse kinematics. So we'll see how that plays out.
1: Right. There, there's a lot of that. But but again, to me, that's all just a matter of time before all of that is worked out. It's just a matter of time. We've been doing real realistic human scans with an iPhone for probably five to seven years now that um, are much better than most of the, the avatars that you see now that look like real people. The problem is uh, there still isn't a unified platform to get scans like that across to the different platforms. And again, all of that stuff I I truly believe will work itself out and we will be starting to see more and more realistic avatars that are driven um with with the new driven uh Gaussian splats. Have you seen drivable Gaussian splats? That to me is a very promising technology. We will be seeing realistic people very soon. But your point is actually a very good one, which is you have all those extra things like you're wearing a cape How do you how does that affect the performance, and how and those are the kind of things that I can best answer by talking about my real world experience in visual effects? Because when you're in visual effects and you're doing Thanos, who's going to be wearing a giant iron suit, or you have a giant ogre who's supposed to be wearing a giant iron suit, how do you make the person that's standing on stage look like? they're wearing the giant iron suit and react to that they could number one a just be a really great actor uh number two you can mock up some heavy you know sound sound cloths on them and put it on them so that they start to do it and those are the kind of things that we do in visual effects we tend to mock up if you've ever seen you know uh game of thrones when um Neris is riding a dragon, they'll do a mock-up of a dragon body and she's riding on a mock-up. Um, so, so we tend to do those kind of mock-up things to help uh, help the experience. And I, I think a, a really great kind of analogy is, have you ever been to The Void when they were open? I don't know if they still have any locations still operating, but The Void um, was a full VR experience uh location based experience uh, platform where you go in and the one i was my favorite here they had in orlando which was a star wars experience you're in this shuttle and the door opens and you reach out and you feel the door and the door isn't the door that you're seeing but you reach out and it feels like the door and it looks like the door so your brain accept that as the door and you go and they say grab it, grab a rifle and you grab a rifle off the off the rack, and now you're holding this thing that you see shooting, and it feels heavy. It feels like it is. When you take your goggles off, it's a piece of wood or plastic or whatever, but it's it's a stand-in prop that helps your body, uh, helps the sensory system line up, you know, and, and that's what sells it. And those are the kind of, like, you know, little tricks until they get... Um, you know, cloth simulations that have haptic feedback, and but I think we'll be doing you know a lot of that kind of um, let's call it two and a half d world kind of things where we're we're adding uh, I know I just got a uh, a a golf club to add to my controller to see it, just to, just to see how that works, just to see how it feels we've been playing a walkabout with just the controller for a long time, and we're already so accepting of that. Uh, that feeling of not having the club, but, but you can always add that little bit of extra, you know, uh, sensory input, I guess, to get those extra performances.
0: John, I'm mindful of time. I could talk forever with you, but, uh, we'd like to, to keep this close to an hour. So, you know, I usually open it up with this open-ended question. Anything else left unsaid, maybe that you think listeners, especially educators who are trying to wrap their head around using some of the film school stuff that you're uh, brilliantly putting out. Anything else that you think uh, they might want to hear?
1: Sure. Um, The first thing I would say is we built this. uh, We do a lot of different things in our company um, from working with large corporations to education. Um, We built these tools not only for ourselves, but we built these tools for film educators. And our whole idea was to have a B2C product where we we have the the film school. And this is more, I would put it on the lines of a Udemy type of uh, platform where it's a kind of pay as you go, uh, where there's no contractual obligation and that type of thing. For anybody, we wanted to democratize where anybody who wants to learn this can jump in and just try it and try these kind of experiences. But we also recognized quickly that there was a very, that we're solving these problems for ourselves. Why not solve them for everybody else too? So we created a B2B platform that basically allows any film school or any college that wants to do a film school program, uh, a metaverse film school program, to basically – it's a turnkey solution. They basically say, yes, we want it, and tomorrow you're up and running because we've got everything built already, and your your teachers already know how to do this. We help with the onboarding process for the, for the instructors to learn how to do it. Our approach is that there's no accreditation, you know, you don't have to go through any kind of accreditation, no curriculum development, no uh, no huge costs of development, because that's a huge, that's kind of a huge uh, cost and expense. It was kind of like a no-brainer kind of a thing that, hey, we're solving all these problems. Why not just make this an easy transition for everybody, where if you've got a film program and you want to be able to do this as a, and we, we're calling it film school labs, um, VR. So Basically, you you can implement it as a new kind of hey today we're going to do the labs and jump in and do be on a soundstage and you can do that throughout your program whenever you want so it's a very it's a no brain pro, it's a no brain kind of a thing it's a low cost low uh, resistance kind of uh, method so that's one thing we would like to say the other one is be open to new technological change I know there's a lot of resistance to Things like AI, um, the new AI technologies, we are, we're already incorporating AI into these programs where you can now, and just kind of imagine this for a second, you've got a classroom full of students in the past before today, you would have to, let's say we're going to do our story for whatever uh, our film is. Students come up with a story and now everybody's got to go home and try to do thumbnail sketches, which is which is all valuable, by the way, all of that experience is valuable. But imagine as a, say, an online instructor who only gets one or two days a week with your students, how much more you can cover if you all go in the classroom together for an hour, and you say to the AI, okay, our first frame is going to be a student wakes up, uh, and we'll be posting this online soon, because we we have we did some proof of concepts with this. You say, a student wakes up, uh, he's waking up in bed, and the, the uh, The idea behind the story is an alien ship comes outside of his house, right? So the student's laying in bed and little boy wakes up. The AI now brings in the frame using a generative AI and now you've got your storyboard and your concept art right then generating it on the fly with a class of 30 students. You've now reduced time and kind of complication-wise your course, which might have taken... Two three weeks of your course time in getting everybody to do their storyboards and do their concept art you've done it in the lesson the period of a class so there's huge wins and this these are kind of no brain kind of uh you don't have to learn new things you don't have to there's not there's not a big learning curve to to any of this it's really just getting into a session we can onboard people usually in a day or two um, and Allow them to teach what they already know how to teach, and they will find ways of using it that we probably aren't even thinking because they may have this kind of clever, um, you know, technique that they like to teach when they teach students how to film a certain angle or something, and they can just grab the camera and just show them. You just grab it and just do it. So um, I, I would say embrace the new technologies. Um, don't be don't be fearful of them. It's, it's very much a mind attitude. Uh, if you do approach them towards, we have to develop curriculum and we're going to have to do a whole new program for this and we have to have a development team, and we, then yes, then everything, you're, all your fears are correct then. But it doesn't yep. have to be that way. And the analogy I'll give kind of as, as a closing here is if you need to go to the store to get a gallon of milk and some bread, do you need to know how to build your car from scratch And the timing in the spark plugs and the belt timings. And you need to know how to put your car together bolt by bolt to go to the store to get your milk and eggs. You don't. All you need to know is how to grab the keys, get in the car. It doesn't matter how the car works. It works, right? And that's the same kind of concept here. You can teach and utilize these new technologies without having to develop it from the ground up. In fact, you know, I highly recommend against not reinventing the wheel. There's really smart, great developers and people out there putting in the work. We don't, while we've done development before, we don't even want to do redevelop work that's been developed already. It allows you to push forward faster and and, uh, see just amazing gains without any of that uh, complexity and headache and resistance and it just makes it a, a joyful experience for everybody.
0: Love that. And I love that analogy. How how can people then get a hold of you if they are interested? And I'm I'm sure again it, it's been for me a curious journey because, you know, I have wrapped my head around like VR science labs. That makes so much sense. But I, you know, you are the one of the first people I've saw, which again is the efficacy of this makes so much sense. Like lots of schools can't afford beakers and test tubes and so on. You know, the same thing goes for film and film school and all what we've talked about over the last hour. And you're one of the first groups I've seen that have saw this as a problem that needs to be solved. And so I hope there's tons of schools out there that say, okay, yeah, now we can have a very robust film uh, department And we don't have to break the bank to do it. So how how do people get a hold of you to learn more about maybe what you guys have to offer?
1: Sure. They can uh, hit us up on our website um, at metaverse-filmschool.com or metaverse-construction.com or send me an email. Uh, You can reach me on on LinkedIn, um, any any of the social medias, or you can just email me directly at john, with no H, J-O-N, at metaverse-construction.com.
0: John, thanks so much for coming on the show today and articulating something that, you know, many people didn't know a lot about, but you made it pretty crystal clear. So I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, Craig, one of the things I'll say is a lot of people will compartmentalize this as, well, that works great for film school. That That's good for you, you know, but this is applicable to literally any subject that you teach in the world of education. We've done this with History with science. in fact, we've got a bunch of schools that are rolling out behind this that you would be pretty surprised at what they are. Their topic's not related to film at all, but um, we have a bunch of other schools rolling out and packages like this. So any topic that you teach, uh, you know, I like to say that imagine a history teacher rather than pulling up a slide of the Battle of Gettysburg, instead bring your students to the Gettysburg Battlefield, and are pointing out what's going on as it's going on around you. How much more exciting is that, you know? Um, and that applies to any any other trade, any other field, whether it's science, history. Uh, the trades are just kind of a laydown for me, like being able to be able to you know teach HVAC or or culinary or medical assisting or any of these uh, without needing to go to a pl- location without needing all the expensive equipment. I mean, especially in, like you said, sciences is a great one, having to deal with the, the safety precautions and all the concerns and liabilities of a, of a real chemical lab, being able to do that sitting in your bedroom, uh, you know, is, is is truly incredible. We're, we're living in, an, in a really amazing time and it's only going to get better.
0: I agree. Thanks yeah. so much, John, for uh, coming on the show. Thank you, Craig. It was great. Take care.